0: was disrupted uh, by mechanical failures of airlines. I was glad that they didn't take off and rescheduled, but as I drove in, I was driven into Wilmore last night around midnight, uh, that sense of being at home uh, enveloped me. I remember the first time coming to Wilmore and uh, having heard that it was the holy city, okay, and uh, that sense of holiness was there with me. I want to thank Jessica Legron for this invitation. I'm very humbled to have the opportunity to speak here today. And I wanna say a special thanks to so many here in the Asbury community that have been part of the journey that we've been on in the United Methodist Church. I wanna thank um, members of the WCA Council that are connected in in the faculty to Asbury, Jessica Legron, Bill Arnold, uh, Matt Abel, uh, who's a student here. I want to thank uh, Dr. Tennant uh, for his strong leadership uh, globally uh, for the Wesleyan movement and the ways he's making a difference in our journey. And Drs Tom Tumblin, Stephen Martin, Jonathan Powers, and Jason Vickers, and Danny Key have all served in various ways uh, with the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Spirit of the Living God, we pray that you would pour your presence out upon us in power and that you would take the words that are spoken here and elevate those that are from you that we might hear your voice alone in the midst of what we do may your word come alive to us and transform our lives for we pray this in the name of jesus amen well after a season of ascendancy the church at least in the western world faces attempts to marginalize it, to reduce its influence in the public square, and to reduce its impact in the lives of ordinary people. Virtually all of the mainline denominations in the U.S. have gone through a season of division around how the church will relate to the culture in which it finds itself. The choice is Will the church accommodate to the culture and its values and become reflective of the culture, or will this church shape and mold the culture so that it's reflective of the values and principles of the Lord our God? The most recent statistics, just released in time for Easter, tell us that less than half of the population of the United Methodist Church, of of the United States, is uh, members of a local church. That's the lowest uh, percentage since those statistics were recorded at the beginning of the last century. Demographers tell us, of course, that the actual membership of the church is less than those who self-report that they're members. People say they're members, but they've never really invested in the life of the church. They've not taken the vows and lived up to the vows of membership. The local church may say we never knew you, but nonetheless that's the statistics. I raise this as a backdrop to the message that I'm going to share with you from the text this morning. After your 13 years as a trial attorney and an appellate litigator and 23 years as a pastor, God has deployed me in Christian service as president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. He's set me apart in this season to be invested in the spiritual and theological renewal of the church. The dysfunction in the United Methodist Church will see several strands of Methodism emerge from this 50 plus year old denomination. This will occur perhaps amicably but inevitably in the coming days. One of the strands that will emerge will be the Global Methodist Church. The Global Methodist Church is fervently committed to scripture as it has been understood and applied in the church for the church's 2,000 year old life. The Global Methodist Church is committed to the historic teachings of the church in the Wesleyan tradition including Paul's prayer that the God of peace would sanctify us completely, as found in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Recognizing that many of us here are in the early years of our service to God's people as pastors, and others are significantly devoted to the formation of persons who will engage in Christian vocation, this morning I want to focus from the text on three prescriptions which I submit are critical for the church in this season. You'll be familiar with each of them. We all give mental assent to them, but I would submit that in many parts of the church, they are neglected in these days. All of them are addressed to the church as a whole, to Christians as a whole, but each of them is also applicable to us as individuals. First, I would submit that we have an identity crisis in the church. The church must recover its identity in Christ and minister out of that identity. And this necessarily means that each of us must recover our identity in Christ, be grounded and rooted in that as our primary, if not exclusive, identity. Second, the church must acknowledge its utter dependence upon the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit and fervently seek such power to animate its ministry. This is not optional for us. And third, the church must proclaim God's mighty acts and show others his goodness. First, recovering our identity in Christ. Peter is writing to a church that is dispersed in the first-century world that is not friendly toward the church. In fact, the first-century church is countercultural, and as it's being formed, it has many forces at work that are seeking to impose on it the will and the whims of the world in which it's being founded. The environment for the formation of the church is antagonistic, Peter writes his letter to those who are in the midst of this journey with Christ as they are continuing to come to Christ. And I would submit that our journey throughout our human experience is one of continuing to come to Christ daily. I I left off with him yesterday when I went to bed. He was with me through the nighttime hours, and I arise greeting him and engaging him afresh and anew in the day. Peter instructs his readers to present them to Christ, themselves to Christ, whom he declares is a living stone. In other words, present yourself to the resurrected Christ. And as they do so, Peter says that they will be shaped and formed into living stones. That is, those who are already sharing the resurrected life that Jesus has secured for us in the here and now not some future hope. They are being built into a spiritual house, not built by human endeavors. I rejoice in the beautiful places that we have to worship, like Esther's chapel, but the house that is being built that Peter describes as a spiritual house, which I would submit is far more beautiful than any edifice that we might construct. The church is given an identity that sets it apart so that followers of Christ can serve God and all creation in unity with Christ. No longer is religious practice focused on a central place. As those continually coming to Christ, we are at the center of what God is doing in the world. People are the focus, not places. Peter declares that Jesus is the cornerstone or the capstone Perfectly formed to ensure that this spiritual house that is constantly growing is held together in integrity. As we are being incorporated into this spiritual house, who we are is radically transformed. I can tell you I am not the same person that I was 40 years ago. And it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and the interaction that I've had with Christian community over those years. Peter says that we are collectively and individually we become a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our pandemic uh, journey has revealed how far I believe the church in the United States has departed from the image that Peter shares. While the church has shown itself to be incredibly innovative in this season yet we've seen how much many churches identity were previously defined by the physical building in which they met and how much meeting for sunday service had come to define what it means to be the church the pandemic has called us to be christians 24 7 wherever we are planted and to be the spiritual house spread throughout the world. The identity of the church shared by Peter is of the gathered community, which constitutes a spiritual house, not defined by a building or a specific location where previously people went to a physical temple in which God was uniquely present. Now Peter cast a vision of God dwelling in the midst of his people who are the spiritual house, where they are, wherever they're physically located. And while previously only the few were regarded as priests set apart for religious or spiritual functions, the identity of the priest described by Peter encompasses every follower of Christ. He says, we, taken as a whole, are a chosen race, called by God, formed into a distinctive group of people, with the mission. This race is not defined by nationality, color of skin, language spoken, political affiliation, hear this, religion, I mean sports passions, anything that would define a group of people. No, we are defined by our identity in Jesus Christ. We are of the tribe of Jesus. And we should be, it should be readily obvious to all who encounter us that there is something distinctive about us because we have been chosen and set apart by Jesus. Our identity is solely in him. We're not chosen because we're especially deserving. In fact, many of us would probably have been rejected if it was on the basis of our own merits. But we're chosen because he has chosen us. He loves us. And he is the one who gives us value. Second, we are a royal priesthood. Each and every one of us. No longer is this a group that is set apart, separate from the Laos, the people of God. Every one of us is called to be part of this royal priesthood. We have a responsibility, a charge, to represent God to a world that isn't sure that he exists, doesn't know him, doesn't know whether they can trust him, we are to be those persons who introduce him to others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're to be those who take the, the, the concerns, the hopes, the dreams of people to God through Christ. We are a holy nation. While present in this world, we're not citizens of any particular nation. But we're citizens of another kingdom. And that ought to radically impact the way we relate to events that are occurring around us. We shouldn't see ourselves as those who are are from a particular geographic location. We're led by a ruler not of this world. We are aliens and foreigners and we are God's own people. We're God's possession. We were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for each and every one of us. I fear that Too many church attenders today or cultural Christians have little familiarity with this distinctive identity Peter highlights, or or that identity is combined with many other identities, so that maybe we understand our identity on Sunday morning when we go to worship in that building, but then we put that identity on the shelf at other times. Now, I've been in this community. We're, we're enveloped by the things of the Spirit all the time. It's, it's easy, I submit, sometimes in this place to stay connected to that identity. But I would say that every one of us is challenged in our daily lives, moment by moment, are we going to live out of that identity as, as, of Jesus, or are we going to live out of the other identities that the world seeks to force upon us? Unfortunately, my observation is that the contemporary church, especially in the West, has become an anemic reflection of what God intends for the body of Christ. The great mass of those relating to the church play largely passive roles, while the professionals strive or are expected to do what God intends for the gathered community to do. Sometimes, I think that comes out of leaders' desire to control. I'll confess that. And so we do more than we should because we want it to go a certain way. We want it to be perfect. Other times it comes out of a fear that if we don't step forward and do it, nobody else will. And more often than not, it comes because we've not done our role of properly preparing people and equipping them and challenging them and encouraging them to step out in faith dependent upon God. And the effort of the few is largely directed at keeping a particular church surviving with little sense of how that particular church has a call to worship and serve God and to serve the people beyond the walls of the church. I challenge each of us to recover our identity in Christ and to empower the gathered community to recover its identity in Christ so that all that we say and do comes from that identity. Now, the second uh, prescription is to be fueled by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. I would say that every one of us would acknowledge that power and every one of us would give mental assent to it, but I ask you to check yourself as you serve God, is the Holy Spirit and his power in our lives uh, at the forefront of your thoughts? Or is is the Holy Spirit and his power an afterthought? The first sermon I ever preached as a layperson was based on this text. I was fascinated then and I'm fascinated now by Peter's use of the term living stone. I mean, it's an oxymoron. It's paradoxical. Stones are inanimate objects. They have no life in them. They cannot make anything happen. We expect them to remain stationary, to be solid. However, that which is living is always in motion. There are always processes that are occurring, that are at work, in that which is alive. How can one be a living stone? Well, what made Jesus alive when he was dead was the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he, has shown, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite Bible verses is Philippians 3, 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I, I pray for that each and every morning, and I seek that throughout the course of the day. And then Paul reminds the early church in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 12: with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. If the church today is going to impact the world for Christ, we must be fueled by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, not just as a mental ascent, not just as something that we give lip service, but our desire not to move until that resurrection power has been poured out upon us. We dare not undertake any endeavor in our own strength. The spiritual landscape of our land is littered with those who have tried for too long to sustain ministry and human strength. Oh, we can do so for a season. We can work ourselves to exhaustion. We can encourage others to expend every ounce of their energy. And when all is said and done, we will accomplish little that is lasting, and we, like so many others, will be burned out. The work in which we've invested so much of ourselves will have evaporated with little lasting fruit. How appropriate is it on this Tuesday after our celebration of Easter that we would consider the difference that occurs when we ensure that we are fueled by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit? We dare not undertake any effort apart from the outpouring of that power. Believing that we can accomplish anything without going, show, knowing that God will show up is heresy. Throughout my ministry, I've known that whatever I undertake, God will accomplish 99.9% of it, and then he invites me to join him for the final 0.1%. And in my arrogance, I will, con- I will contend that look what I did. But no we should give praise and glory to the holy spirit who accomplishes all of it sometimes in spite of us if we're to be the church that god is raising up in this generation we must acknowledge our utter dependence upon the resurrection power of the holy spirit and fervently seek such power to animate our ministry we must desperately seek that power that can make stones live that's why Paul resolutely affirms, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I resisted God's call to make myself available to be president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association because I felt I was inadequate to undertake its mission. Surely God, there's someone better prepared than I. Surely God, there's someone who you've invested abilities in that I don't have. The idea of raising up a new denomination out of the chaos of what is the United Methodist Church with all that that entails apart from the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is ludicrous. But God, it will happen in spite of our human efforts. It will happen only as we are utterly dependent on the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And it is only when I was absolutely sure God was calling me To the task and would fuel every effort in that journey by the resurrection power of the holy spirit that i said yes and then finally we are to proclaim god's mighty acts and demonstrate his goodness on february 4th 1991 i was in my 13th year of practicing law i was a shareholder in a large law firm in richmond virginia one of the five members of the board of directors in this 50-lawyer firm, and I was chair of the firm's litigation section. In that 13-year period, I argued more civil cases before the Supreme Court of Virginia than any other attorney up until that time. I was an engaged layperson teaching one of the largest adult Sunday school classes in a significant Methodist church in the city. I was all in for Jesus. The only book that was on my desk, as in my law office, was the Bible. And it was a frequent occurrence when I would finish a consultation with a client, when I would ask them if they would permit me to pray for them and for their circumstances. Do you know, although many of those clients were very far from God, I never once had a client say, no, you can't pray for my circumstances. Being faithful to God was something that I, I, I strove to do. Well, it was on February 4th, 1991, at 6.05 p.m., when I was in my car on Interstate 195, going under the Monument Avenue overpass, that the Holy Spirit filled the car, and I heard God's Spirit say to my spirit, I want you to leave the practice of law and I want you to pastor a church for me. I wondered why God would call me off of what I perceived as the front lines of the Christian faith, interacting with people far from God every day to what I thought was the rear guard, going to seminary and pastoring a church. But God and I wrestled with that, and I knew that that this was the call of God, and I said yes. A little more than six months later, I arrived here in Wilmore at Asbury Theological Seminary to begin my first semester of studies toward a Master of Divinity degree. I was walking down the hallway in the basement of Morrison Hall next to the seminary post office. I didn't even know if it still existed here. Uh, Do we get mail in the seminary post office anymore? Yes. Well, I went down there to make sure it was still there. I was walking down that hallway when a tall man I did not know confronted me. He put his index finger in the very center of my chest. I have a distinct remembrance of feeling the pressure of that finger pushing me back. And he looked intently in my eyes and he said, Mr. Boyette, God does not need an advocate. He needs a witness. And then he was gone. J.T. Siemens and I became friends over my three years here in Wilmore. The message he delivered to me on that very first day at Asbury Theological Seminary is ingrained on the hard drive of my life. God needs witnesses, He needs people who are going to tell others. Of what he has done in our lives and in the lives of others. I never figured out how he knew who I was. I never asked him what prompted him to deliver that message to me, but it was certainly a word I needed to hear. Peter makes clear that the church preeminently exists to proclaim God's mighty acts and to show others his goodness. There's all kinds of other things that we deal with in the church But we must never lose sight of that. That is the reason for the church's existence. That's the spiritual sacrifice that we're called to offer up. This need is especially pronounced, I believe, in the West. But it is the primary task of the church everywhere. Even though identification as members of local churches is declining, yet people's interest in matters of spirituality remain very high. I'm convinced that we rarely argue people into the kingdom. We love them into the kingdom. We show them the character of Christ in our lives, and they see something so attractive in our tribe that they press in and the Holy Spirit meets them. Oh, I believe apologetics is important a testimony, the witness of persons whose lives have been dramatically changed by an encounter with Jesus and who have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light, well, that provides a pathway for the Holy Spirit to draw persons into a living encounter with Jesus, where they find themselves recipients of the miracle of becoming living stones. We must remember that as Peter concludes these verses with the echo from Hosea, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As a royal and holy priesthood, let us offer sacrifices to our most high God by proclaiming the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. These three prescriptions, I mean, easily stated, any one of us could identify them, but are we living them out? They're routinely neglected, I would submit, in far too many places, but they're at the core of what God is urging us to be about to advance his kingdom today, restore and recover our identity in christ be fueled by the resurrection power of the holy spirit proclaim god's mighty acts and demonstrate his goodness to others would you join me in prayer lord as we are on this side of celebrating easter we are overwhelmed that you would come, be incarnate amongst us, that you would show us how much you love us by laying your lives down for us while we were still enemies of you. Thank you, O God, for reaching us, saving us, redeeming us, filling us with your Holy Spirit, transforming us by your love, and calling us to be part of your people. Restore in us that identity of Christ that we might be reflective of who you are in this world Lord may others see you at work in us and so desire what they see you doing in us that walls would be torn down and they would be drawn into relationship with you forgive us Lord for all those times when we have thought we've had things more than in control where we've not depended upon the resurrection power of the holy spirit incredibly this amazing power is bestowed upon us as the people of god pour out afresh upon us this day your resurrection power that we might experience all that you intend for us in in this new life and that empowered by you we can share our faith dramatically with others and then lord enable us to be your witness to give your testimony, to proclaim your mighty acts, and to demonstrate to others your goodness. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.